Among other things, uh, Grace Hills Church is a, is a family. It's the family of God as God brings us into relationship. And it, it's a blood relationship because this is Lord Jesus Christ's blood, which uh, unites us. And as we think about that, sometimes there's um, part of our family that will be leaving. Uh, ben Roberts this is his last Sunday with us, and so be sure to uh, say hello to him uh, after our service. A few weeks ago, Norman, uh, Norm, uh, Norma Swanson uh, almost suddenly uh, decided to go down and spend some time uh, living with one of her sons, and so uh, she's down uh, Escondido area, and uh, we really miss her. She's in a, been involved in a life group in many ways. And then as we look at all the flowers behind me, uh, that's just kind of a statement about Jill uh, Lowry going home to be with the Lord. They had the service for her uh, yesterday and uh, continue to pray for the Williams family. Well, this morning uh, we really, in a sense, uh, kick off the series on knowing God. And as we look at knowing God, we looked at some things last week in terms of kind of some prerequisites. But I've entitled the message this morning, Life's Greatest Pursuit. And as you think about that, uh, probably we have asked the question or been asked the question, what are you going to be when you grow up? Anyone ever had that question asked or have you ever asked that of someone? And when you think about it, there's all kinds of responses that people give. And sometimes it can be embarrassing when you're 50 years old and they're still asking that question, what are you going to be when you grow up? But that, that's something that people are interested. Just, just what is your goal in life? What, what do you see as your purpose? What, what is your life all about? And normally what they're asking you, however, they're not really asking what you want to be. They, they're asking what are you going to do? And as we think about life, those, uh, those dreams, those goals can be taken from us rather suddenly. And if all of our life is, is that pursuit of uh, our dream, it, that dream could become a nightmare almost immediately. Um, for, uh, for guys, often when you're young, you, 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 one of your goals is you want to be a professional athlete. You, you, want, you want to um, perform the NBA or... Uh, be a star on the football field or whatever it might be. And I, I don't know if you have some people um, just recently that have done some things that some of their dreams got dashed rather suddenly. I don't know if you know a, a man named Steve Tullock. But Steve Tullock uh, plays linebacker for the Detroit Lions. And last week, this last week on September 21st, he was playing against the Green Bay Packers. And it was one of the last series. It's one of their big uh, rivals. And he makes a sack. He tackles the quarterback uh, at the very end of the game. And he just gets so excited that he goes into a victory dance. And right before he does the victory dance, he jumps up really high and lands on his legs. And he tears his ACL. Not being hit by anybody, no contact, simply got too excited, jumped up too high, landed awkwardly, and he tore his ACL. He's out for the season. And whenever you tear an ACL, there's a lot of question marks about how well you're going to come back. Uh, there's, a, there's another player uh, in, the foot, in the NFL um, a few years ago. His name was Bill Gra- Grammatica. And... He, uh, he, he's one of those players, if, if you want to play football and not worry about getting injured, you, you want to become a kicker, right? Nothing happens to a kicker. Uh, well, he, he got drafted pretty high in the NFL draft, and he played for the Arizona Cardinals. He was having a great rookie season, hitting 80% of his field goals, and he, he was playing uh, in 2001, and, and he had a game-winning field goal that he kicked. However, right after he kicked it, he went into a victory dance, got up real high in the air, landed on his legs, and he tore his ACL. And two years later, he was out of the league. Now, being in Angeltown, some of you might be thinking, okay, can you tell anything kind of more related to our sports? Well, remember a a guy named uh, Kendrick Morales? 
Kendrick Morales, I mean, I'm sure one of his greatest pursuits was become a, a Major League Baseball player, but the, the biggest dream is maybe even become a Hall of Famer a baseball player. Well, the year before, he had statistics that if he continued that out throughout his career, he would have been a Hall of Famer. Well, he started the next year, and he was leading the Angels in batting average, home runs, RBIs, and he had one of those dream games. It was the 10th inning. It was tied one-to-one. The bases were loaded, and he hit a grand slam. 39,328 people watched him hit that grand. I just looked it up, okay. <laughs> and uh, he, he came home, and, he, and the, his whole team was there to celebrate. Well, he jumped once and missed the plate. And so he jumped again, hit the plate, but he hit it awkwardly, and he tore his ankle, and he was out for two years, and he's never been the same player. There's a man named Victor Frankel who was uh, put in a concentration camp and his experience was so much more devastating than losing you know, part of your athletic career. He was taken hundreds and hundreds of miles from not only his family, but from everybody he knew. And he was put in a camp in which he was stripped naked. Everything that he possessed was taken from him. And weekly, daily, and Week in and week out, he was brutalized. But for some reason, it, was, it, it, it frustrated the guards. Because no matter how much they had done the same thing to other people who were in that concentration camp, they could not break Viktor Frankl. And, and the reason they could not break him, break his spirit, destroy him in terms of who he, who he was, is because he had come to the point in his life where he realized that, that though everything could be taken on the outside, no one can take anything that's on the inside. And, and, and so as we think about life's greatest pursuit, it's pursuing that which you cannot lose, which no matter what happens in life, it cannot be taken from you. And then when you understand the depth of what that is, this is, this is what life is all about. So this morning, we want to look at life's greatest pursuit and just look at some simple things, some things we looked at a little bit last week. But as we introduce this, I, I want you to focus on what, what were you made for? What is the greatest purpose and pursuit of life? And I would say it's, It's understanding that God left you here, brought you here to know him. What were you made for to know God? Now, this morning, this is going to be a a race through scriptures in many different ways. Uh, Many of them are put in your outline, but I want you to turn to a few of them. So what were you made for? You were made to know God. So uh, find the gospel of John. If you know where the New Testament is, you go through the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And and we're going to look at the words of Jesus, John 17. And we'll bump up a little bit. In John 17, we have uh, Jesus uh, just sharing his heart out with his disciples, preparing them for what's going to happen next. And he gives them some great promises. One is found at the end of John chapter 16, where he says, These things I have spoken to you, that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And then again, he kind of introduces what we want to look at this morning. Jesus spoke these words, John 17, beginning with verse 1. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, 
The hour has come, glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And and so as we think about even the pursuit of of knowing God, this is something that we don't have to blindly uh, look for. God, God is revealing himself, and he's given himself to us. But the question is, what, what is really knowing God? And so Jesus probably, as clearly as any other passage in Scripture, in scripture says this, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is life? And whenever the Bible says eternal life or everlasting life, it, it says it in two different ways. It's just, not, it's just not simply talking about quantity of life, that you're going to endure forever, that you, you have days ahead of you. That's quantity of life. But it's also about quality of life. This is, this is what life is all about. And what is it? It's as simply as this, that we may know Him. And, and in case that's too general for us, to know Him is to know Jesus Christ, His Son. Uh, turning Bibles to Philippians, and this is actually a passage hopefully many of you have been at least trying to work on. You, you hang a right from John. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, we have the testimony, and just to debrief real quickly, uh, of a man who was, I, I guess you could say, religious beyond description. He, he said, if we're trying to throw out our religious cards, I, I have more cards than anybody else in their deck. In, in terms of who I was when I was born and everything I've done after I've been born. I've done everything to impress God and impress people who look at people who are trying to impress God. I have it all. And sometimes when we think about, you know, knowing God and we're saying, well, I'm, I'm kind of starting late in this game. You know, so, so many people are so far ahead of me now. I just can't catch up. You know, they're so religious. And I, I you know, I'm not that religious. Well, listen to someone who was religious and said, you know, that, that can be a detriment. You can get your eyes off the, the goal, the, the real source of life. And he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I've got to throw this in just for free. The word knowledge in the, the language of the New Testament is not simply acquiring information. The word in the original language talks about knowledge in terms of experiencing. It's used in the Old Testament when a a man knows his wife. When a man or a woman experiences the unity in marriage and love in marriage. And so he's talking about knowing not simply about God, but knowing him relationally. But he goes on, he says, I count all things as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, through whom I have suffered the loss of all things, everything that I thought was important, I've now realized wasn't and has been taken from me. And I count them as rubbish. Now, in the New King James Version, that's just a, uh, that's just a, a kind of a sanitized way to say I count them as, because uh, the, real, the, real, the real word means like, like manure, like dung, like human waste, everything compared to really knowing God. It's it's like, it's not like it has no value. It just has little value to be thrown away in comparison. 
And his whole desire was that I may gain Christ. That I might come to know him deeply. Uh, turn your Bibles to Old Testament passages. Look at Jeremiah. And you're thinking, where in the world is Jeremiah? Well, if you can find Psalms, hang a right. And if you can't quite get there, just listen as I read the passage. But in, in Jeremiah chapter 9, you know, God says to the people of Israel very clearly uh, some things that we need to come to grips with in terms of what's life's greatest pursuit. And as you're turning there, what is so awesome about life's greatest pursuit is that we can all be on that track. This is not limited to, to anybody who's gone through some formal education or they've had some experiences in the past or they have some things they know that are unique to them in the future. Everyone can pursue God. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, we have the Lord speaking, which is always good to listen when God speaks. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let, the, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. And there's nothing wrong with being wise or having resources, but where do we, should we really put our confidence in? But let him who glories or boasts or is proud or is confident glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For these I delight, says the Lord. So if, if ever we somehow... Get caught up in the comparison game. Man, I, you know, man, I'm, you know I'm, I'm the big L. I'm the loser. You know, I, I'm somehow, I didn't get what everybody else got. Something, something's wrong in my experience. Or, uh, you know, I've, I just, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm broken. I'm dysfunctional. I'm a victim. Look it. If you know the Lord, there is nothing compared to that. Because if someone is richer than you are, okay, but it, you know the Lord. If, if someone's more powerful than you are, but, but you know the Lord. If someone more intelligent than you are, but you know the Lord. And so it gives all of us a sense that this is where self-identity, where self-confidence comes from, is knowing that we know the God of this universe. One other passage, Hosea. Hosea is over a few pages from um, Jeremiah. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, this prophet writes this, uh, concerning, again, those who were, <laughs> were, were going through all the religious um, practices. He says in verse 4, O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew, it goes away. Man, it just, like, you, you talk a good game, but you're not living it. And then he says in verse 6, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Life's greatest pursuit is to know God and to know him deeply and fully and completely. And God is not lost. We're lost, but God's not lost. He reveals himself to those who seek him with their whole heart. But as we think about knowing God, seeing that as our, our greatest pursuit, the issue is, well, we, we better know who God is and what God is. And last week we introduced this, and I, I wanted to go back to it because this really is fundamental in this pursuit of knowing God. And let me just give you a, a, little, a little glimpse into what we're going to be seeing 
uh, in the future in this, in this series. We basically have about nine or ten weeks left before our quarter ends in our life groups. And, and our goal is to really know God, and we want to know God in his oneness, but also in his, his being three as well. And so we're, we're going to be looking at what is God and who is God today. But then we're going to look at the fatherhood of God, the sonship of God, and the spirit of God. And God wants us to, to know not only what he is, but who he is, but how we are to relate to him and how we are to experience him deeply. And we're going to spend ex- extended time on, G- on God and his, his being the Holy Spirit. But we're going to look at what we should uniquely think about when we worship the one God in three. But it's fundamental not only to know what is life's greatest pursuit, which is to know God, but to answer again the question, what is God? Last week I introduced you a, a definition that's considered by, by many who have studied God's word over the centuries, that the greatest definition of, of God. And I've told you before, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for whatever the greatest is. You know, what's the greatest pickle? What's the greatest hamburger? Which is the ones we're going to have. At 12:15 today, you know what's you know what's the greatest roller coaster? What's the highest, fastest roller coaster? And what's the biggest way? You know what? Whatever is the greatest, the biggest. It just kind of grabs me. At least whether it is or not, at least I got to read it, or I got to experience it, or I got to see it if I can. But what is God? In in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it simply says this, and this is this is uh, this is an exhortation for you to memorize, because if we're gonna if we're gonna really say I want to know God. We, we really need to understand what God is. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, eternal, unchangeable in his ways, in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's the shorter catechism. I was so tempted this week to give you the longer, longer catechism. You want to hear the longer definition of this? Written by the same people. God is a spirit who in and of himself is infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection. He is all-sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, beyond our full understanding, present everywhere, almighty, knowing everything, completely wise, completely holy, completely just, completely merciful, and growing patient, and overflowing with goodness and truth. Now, which one do you want to memorize? I'm going to give you the shorter one. But all I want to do is I want to unpack that again a little bit. And I want us to, to even take the goal of saying, I want to take these attributes and maybe one or two a day. I, I, want, I want you to meditate on this is, this is the God that we're pursuing. God is spirit. He is a spirit. And, and what does that mean? It means he's immaterial, not bound by anything physical. He's not limited like we are. And all you have to do is grow for any length of time, and all of a sudden you realize the things that used to work well, what? Don't work as well. The things start to break down. You have pains where you never thought, man, I didn't think I had any muscles there. Now they hurt, okay? Uh, but God is, he is not limited physically. And because of that, he can be everywhere. And that's our, our, our call is to worship him as who he is. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And we talked a little bit more about that last week. But also, not only is he a spirit, he is infinite. He is infinite in comparison to other spirits. There are angelic spirits. But God's spirit can be anywhere at any time. But what does it mean that God is infinite? He's exceedingly great and he has no limits. 
But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and earth, behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. How much less this temple which I have built? You know, any time that we come into a place of, of, of worship where people gather together, you know, we, we sometimes think this, this is the house of God. You ever heard of a church called a house of God? Well, when they, they made the temple to be a place where the God's people in um, the Old Testament gathered together, it was a place where they would gather to corporately express honor and praise to God. But no matter, no matter what we could build, could that contain God? And so as you think about First uh, Kings, you're saying, not only is that true, but just look up into the sky. Could, could the sky contain all of God? And the answer to that is no. Well, how about the heavens beyond the heavens? All that, that space that's so dark out there. Could, could that contain all of who God is? And, and so as we think of God, we need to just expand our ability to, to imagine the, the massiveness and, the, and the, the length and breadth of God. That, that so often what we do in our relationship with him is, it, is God is too little rather than too big. And all you have to do is, whatever you're struggling with now, is God capable of getting you through that? And why? Because he is infinite. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal. Eternal simply means that it's everlasting without beginning or end. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, the difference between us and God in that we have an eternal future, but God has an eternal past. There never was a time which God was not. When we look at in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God was before that beginning. He has been everlasting. Before there was anything, there was God. And that is the answer to the question, who created God? No one, because God has always been. Who is God? God is a spirit. He's infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being. Unchangeable. What is unchangeable? He stays the same, will not do or become something else. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you've been going through our series in PT with God, personal time with God, you, as, as God became man, the Son of God became man, Jesus became both God, I mean, fully God and fully man on this earth. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, in his humanity, Jesus grew in, in, in uh, stature, in wisdom, in favor with God and man. As a man, he grew. But God doesn't grow that way because he is already fully mature. And, and not only that, isn't, isn't it so awesome that God does not change? Have you known some people that have changed? Have you known some people that didn't really turn out like you thought they were, or they weren't the friend you thought they were, they weren't as, they, they didn't, you couldn't count on them as much as you thought you could count on them? God never changes. I had an experience, kind of a, kind of a, uh, I don't know how I would describe it. It was, it was a very uh, in, intriguing experience last night. We, I, I was, I did the funeral here and drove down to Sandy at the Fallbrook and then had a race to Torrance, uh, California. And they had the, their 100th anniversary uh, as a church last, last night. And they asked some, some of us to come back to, to be there and, you know, kind of give a little 
picture of what we were like when we were there as, you know, pastor type type people. And, and uh, it was actually, I was in, in Torrance from 1976 to 1984. So I actually thought they were, av- they were celebrating my 30th year not being there, but they, <laughs> they were actually celebrating their 100th anniversary. And it was interesting as, as I was there, and, and one of, the, one of the, the fears you have when you go to a, an anniversary like that is you're going to see people that you don't exactly recognize, you can't remember their name, they've been, been there, you know, you go, oh, man, I should know, who, who is that, you know? And, and as we were sitting there, and I saw some people, and they came to me, and then I started going to people, and, and, and some of the people, they, they looked exactly the change, they, they hadn't changed. And, and then I saw some people in my youth group. I did not recognize them, you know. I just one one guy came up and he said, he looked at, you know, they come up to you and they can tell immediately that you don't know who they are. And he brought his name tag and, and he put it there. And, and I go, oh, you're, you're David Barrett, you know, because it said it right there, David Barrett. And, and, you know, he had less hair than I did do. His hair was fully white and, you know, and he had more around his waist than I remember he had, you know. And he was just different. But, you know, there were other people, like I said, that they hadn't changed. And, and, and it was interesting in talking with them um, and, and just kind of reliving all those years that Alice and I were there. The, the thing that, that just struck me is how some of the things that were taught to them 30 years, they were so passionate about. Probably the, the thing that kind of touched my heart as much as anything, Alice and I had a, a, a few of the, the youth group come up to me. They're now 30 years older than they were when they were in my youth group. They said, you know, most of the people in your youth group are still walking with the Lord. There could have been anything more significant they could have said to us. And I said, well, it wasn't me. It was Alice. Alice was the impact for everybody that did there. But, you know, there was another thing that struck me. There was a, there was a, there was a guy in my, um, on my youth team, and I, I'm, I'm loving to say this because uh, we, kinda, we called him Samson, okay? And um, he, had, he, he made Mark and Brandon's arms look like my arms. Okay, man, that guy, he, was, he was, is massive. He's still really buff, all right? Uh, but the, the, thing, the thing is, you know, one of the things he said to me that just... It, it, it actually humbled me. It didn't make me proud. He says, you know, I pray for you every single day. And see, when we think about God, that's how God is to us. He's constant. In fact, in John 17, that passage we read early, it, it's really the Lord's prayer. That, and he's praying for us. He's interceding on our behalf to God his Father, desiring that we might know the truth and be set aside by the truth and made be holy and pure by the truth. And so when we think about God, God is that one who changes not. And, and we live in a world where we see change all the time. But that's not who God is. He's the one who always prays. He's the one who's still walking in holiness and faith as an example to us. Unchangeable in his being. And, and the word being is, it, it comes from Exodus chapter 314 where Moses comes to, to the burning bush and he says, well, who, who's going who's, who's to be, who's sending me? When I go to these people try, try, trying to call them out of Egypt, I have to, I have to tell them who, who, is, who is it that's sending me. He says, tell them I am. 
And, and, the, and the phrase I am, and Jesus used that to descri- self-describe himself in John chapter 8, verse 58. But, but that's a statement. I am, I am the self-existent one. And again, part of the problem for many people who, who maybe hear that you ought to pursue knowing God, they say, well, why would I pursue to know someone who does not exist? And just like when we have services like we had yesterday, when we talk about someone who went on to be with the Lord, they're more alive now than they've ever been. And God is more alive than any one of us here because his life is eternal, everlasting, infinite, not bound by physical limitations. That's the God we're pursuing. What is God? God God is a spirit. He's he's infinite. He's eternal. He's unchangeable in his being. He truly exists. And then the the writers of the shorter catechism, in terms of what is God, they they say they give some attributes. And if if I were to add to the shorter catechism at least a couple words, I would say completely full of wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And wrapping your heart and mind around, this is the God we're pursuing, is what life is all about. What does it mean that God is full of wisdom? It means that he's sensible, discerning, knowing what is true, right, and best. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. See, the walk of knowing God allows you, as the psalmist says, to be wiser than your teachers. And wiser doesn't mean that you necessarily have more information than anybody else has on this planet. It means that you are discerning, know what is real and genuine and what is right, what is best. That's really what wisdom is. What's the best choice? What's the best path to go on when you walk through life? And that is the source of wisdom, the God who knows everything. I was... uh, Bill Hybels is a pastor, and, and he has a real heart for the lost. And, and one of the things he, he was, he said, I, you know, I was talking to a friend the other day, and, and he was so close to, to making that step to, to know Jesus, to invite him in as his Lord and Savior. And, and then all of a sudden he stopped. And I said, why? He says, well, because I'm, I'm afraid that, that God will take my life and mess it up. He said, and he said this, a great, it's kind of an interesting conversation. He said, you know, what, what do you think is going to happen when you become a Christian? That all of a sudden God's going to feed you a stupid pill, a foolish pill, and, and he's going to now force you to do not what's best but what's worst? You know, God, it's not going to be easy when you become a child of God, but God will lead you to what is best, <laughs> not what is bad for you. God is full of wisdom, discerning wisdom. Leading us in what is right, true, and genuine. He's also, he's also power. He's completely full of power. What is power? It's the ability and authority to do what needs to be done. And God has both. You know, you can walk into someone's home and you see their kids acting a certain way and you, you might be motivated to try to discipline them. But do you have the right to do that? No, they're not your kids. You don't have the authority to discipline other people's kids. Unless you're maybe a teacher and they're in your classroom and then you have to do something with them. Right, right Jennifer? But, it, but, if, but if you're going in their home, you don't, you don't have the authority to discipline somebody else's kids. But, but God has the authority to do whatever. 
But, you know, some people have authority, but they have no power. They're, they're incapable of doing what needs to be done. God is able to do both, to, to stand in, in righteous authority, to do what is right, but also the power to do it. And so as we go through life, that's the God we want to know who's able to do anything and everything that needs to be done. God is holiness. What does that mean? He's separated from all that is evil and to all that is pure. And really what that, in 1 John 1, 5 says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. It's so tempting to want to kind of drift and talk about each one of these attributes to any depth, but aren't you glad that that God doesn't have any skeletons in his, in his, uh, his closet? That there isn't some things where you go, you know... There's, uh, there's part of him that I just can't wrap my arms around. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is just, full of justice. He makes true judgments and giving righteous consequences. In Psalm 96, verse 13, it says, For he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. This last week in one of my Bible studies, uh, one of the people said, well, what should it be our attitude toward all the, the terrorism that's happening in other countries where groups of people are cutting people's heads off? You know, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to be the God of this universe. But we need to understand there is a God in which justice will reign. And, and there, is, there is no sin, there is no act of terrorism, There is no evil in which consequences will not be handed out from a holy God that's full of justice. And even as we look at that, that's a warning for us as well. Because God loves his children and he will discipline his children. Because God is just and he hands out righteous consequences. God is full of goodness, kindness, beneficial with moral excellence. Uh, Romans 2, 4 says this, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? See, God is good. And because God is good, God is the one who comes alongside us. And, and we are in despair. He's there. Alice this past week was... Uh, bringing a, a dinner to Jesse and Jessica, I think it was on Monday night or Tuesday night. And uh, she had prepared the meal. And, and when I got home around 530, I, everything smelled so great. In the, you know, and what are we eating? So you're not eating any of this. I'm taking this to the traders, all right? So, so you know, she came back an hour later and, and, uh, and actually a little bit longer. And I thought, I go, well, I thought you were just getting right home. I'm uh, hungry. Okay, anyway, so uh, I guess I could have fixed something for myself, but we can't go that far. All right, so... So anyway, she came home and I said, well, I went, I went back to Walmart. I said, you went back to Walmart? Well, when I was uh, preparing to, to make the dessert for, you know, Jesse and Jessica, I, I decided I'd make this pumpkin crunch cake. And so I, I, I was there and, and all of a sudden I was in line, had everything to pay for. And then I go, oh man, I forgot the, uh, the evaporated milk or the, I know I'm going to miss this up, the evaporated milk or the condensed milk. And she, in fact, she couldn't remember which one she was supposed to have too. And all of a sudden the the checker said, well, I'll hold your, your, your stuff here. Go get it and come back, and then I'll let you right in line. 
I said, really? You know? So she got the stuff. And then she said, what are you making? And she described she was going to make this pumpkin crunch cake. And so she, um, she said, oh, that sounds so good. I get off in about two hours. Why don't you bring me a piece? You know, and they kind of went on back and forth on that. So uh, Alice went and got, got the dinner to uh, Jesse and Jessica. And, and, and then she came back to Walmart with the cake. What's interesting is that... Uh, and I would never do this. But anyway, what Alice did, you know, she came back. She's much better than I am. So she, she came back, and the, and the checker goes, she just she went ballistic. She goes, are you kidding me? You brought me back the cake. I've had the worst two hours of my life, the last two hours here. And she went around telling everybody at Walmart, look what she brought. She brought me pumpkin crunch cake. It's so, isn't that so nice? And Alice had a chance to talk to her, invite her to our Bible study, and whatever else she did. So, but, you know, it, 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 was, it was just amazing how just doing something kind and good changed an entire day for one person. And see, that's who God is. He's the one who brings goodness into our lives, who, who does the unexpected. And even though she had asked for it, she did not expect it to happen. And, and it was interesting, not only did Alice make her day, but that checker made Alice's day. And she never did feed me that night. Anyway, no. Uh, it's, uh, you know, God, God, God is good. And, and that's the God that he wants us to really know. And God is full of truth. And what is truth? Jesus is truth. But you can define it this way. It's real, factual, honest, and right. He is the rock. He is the one whose work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. You can only trust someone who is trustworthy. You can only put your confidence in someone that you're convinced will always tell you the truth. When Jesus revealed himself to Pilate, you know, they talked about truth and Pilate said, what is truth? And Truth personified was in his presence. What, what's life's greatest pursuit? To know God. And what is God? God is a spirit. He's infinite. He's eternal. He's unchangeable in his being. He's full of wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And then real quickly this morning. Well, who is God? God is one in three. He is, he is the triune God. He is one in three. The divine essence exists wholly and indivisibly, simultaneously and eternally in the members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And from the very beginning, God wanted us to know that there aren't many gods. There's only one. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, you have a, a section of God's word in which the Jewish people were to recite twice a day. And it simply begins this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And, and that seems so simplistic, but there are many people then and now who who see God in everything. They're kind of pantheistic. 
There, there are those who believe in many gods. They believe they're in no gods. And God said, I want you to understand. Listen up. The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, is a God, one. There is only one God. With our children in vacation Bible school, we, we taught them that verse in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5. It says, the Lord your God, there is only one God, and there's no one else. In Isaiah chapter 48, verse 11, it says that I am the only God, and I will share my glory with no one. But in the oneness of God, there are three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all three, separately but simultaneously, indivisibly and eternally, manifested themselves at Jesus' baptism. Whereas Jesus fulfilled all righteousness and he was baptized by John the baptizer, you had a voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit descended as like a dove upon him. And then you had the presence of the Son of God going under the water and coming up out of the water. And as Jesus left, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name singular, because there's only one God, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so as we pursue God, we've got to pursue God as who he really is. We never should even get close to trying to create God in our image. We need to see God in who he truly is. And who is God? He's a spirit. He's infinite. He's eternal. He's unchangeable in his being. He is completely full of, of wisdom and power and holiness, purity, justice, goodness, and truth. He, he is the one and only true God. Who in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit desires for us to experience His love from the Father, His grace from the Son, and His communion or relationship through the Spirit. The question for us is, do we really know God? And how do we know God? Is to know His Son. And so as we close in order of prayer and then continue to worship through giving and song, ask yourself... Do you just know about God or do you know him? And, and this morning you can know him by, by simply doing what people have done down through the centuries. is recognizing who he is, who you are, and then receiving his invitation to know him. Let's pray. God, your word is, is clear about who you are and who you've manifested yourself clearly to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, you have said very plainly who we are. That we are people who have fallen short. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. And when we come to that point where we say, God, I want to know you. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me my sins. I want to follow you and obey you. You'll answer that prayer. Father, I invite everyone who doesn't know you this morning to make that, that commitment. And Father, if we do know you, might we make this the life pursuit of of our existence here on earth, to know you and know you more deeply and to make you known to others. And in this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.